So we continue today making our way through this epistle of Paul to the Ephesians. And here in the third chapter, the verses that we read together, we, we have Paul transitioning from expounding on our spiritual blessings in Christ. That's what he's been doing in the first uh, few chapters of the epistle here. Uh, but he's transitioning from that to our responsibility to walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. And then he goes on in the remainder of the chapter and he makes the transition complete with a prayer that his readers would know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. As Paul is making this transition here in verses one through 13, he says some important things that we need to stop and consider about the church. Not only about the church, but also about himself and uh, about the ministry. He says some things here about Christ that we need to take a moment and reflect on. And he also tells us something about ourselves. So these are the things that we're going to be looking at briefly this morning. Now, I say that that this is uh, Paul transitioning and not to, not to take away from the importance of the text, but it's clear that he's, he's making his way into the next, um, to the next part of the epistle that's going to become the applicational portion of it. Uh, because what he says here in the verses that we just read are really uh, just a bit of an elaboration on what he's already been talking about, what he discussed quite uh, thoroughly in the second chapter. This whole thing of uh, this, this new humanity that God has brought into existence, where he's brought Jew and Gentile together, uh, this new humanity being manifested through what we know as the church. And so thinking, first of all, about the church. The church really is the unfolding of a mystery that God had not made known in other ages, but has now revealed. That, that's what Paul is telling us here. He, he uses the, the term mystery three times in the paragraph that we read. And the mystery is as we're gonna go on to see, the mystery is not only is God reconciling men to himself, but he's reconciling men to one another. But, but just for a moment, the, the idea of mystery, we need to realize that the English and the Greek words do not have the same meaning. When we think of in, uh, the word mystery in English, we think of something dark, obscure, secret, puzzling, Uh, But that's not the meaning of the Greek word. The Greek word is mysterion, and it's different. Uh, Although there's still a a secret, it's no longer closely guarded, but it's a secret that has been made known. That's really the idea behind the word. In Christianity, there are no esoteric mysteries. There are no esoteric mysteries in Christianity, Uh, reserved for a spiritual elite, 
On the contrary, the Christian mysteries are truths which, although beyond human discovery, have been revealed by God and so now belong openly to the whole church. I'm quoting from a commentator there, but um, it's important that we understand that. Uh, I, I grew up, as I mentioned before, I grew up in Roman Catholicism. And within the Roman Catholic system, there's, they, they use the term mystery in the sense that we would think of it today, but they, they misunderstand it because they think that the, the gospel's still a mystery. It's not a mystery. The, it, it's been revealed. It was hidden in ages past, but now God has made these things known to us. So there, there's no such thing within the Christian life of having to have some deeper type of a understanding and like an elitist sort of a group of people who know spiritual things better than others, like a, like a priesthood, for example. The priesthood, they, they know the deeper things of the spirit, but the average person, the the, the laity, these things are still mysterious to them. No, that, that's not biblical Christianity. God's opened the whole thing up. He's given us uh, an understanding that all of us can know him from the least to the greatest. We can all know him deeply and intimately. And so we just need to be clear on that. When we're talking about the mystery of the faith or the mystery of the gospel or the mystery of Christ, we're talking about something that in the ages past was not known, but it has now been made known to us. So what specifically is the mystery that Paul is referring to here? The mystery is this, this bringing together of Jew and Gentile. Now for us, 2,000 years removed from this, uh, we don't understand the full uh, impact of this. But you have to think back to the first century. There was a sharp distinction at that time between the Jew and the Gentile. And it was crystal clear to the Jews that they were God's people, they were God's only people, and that the Gentiles were outsiders. And that was relatively uh, clear to the Gentiles as well. The Jews made sure that the Gentiles understood that. And of course, the Jews had this history. They were undoubtedly the people of God. They could trace their uh, ancestry back to Abraham, the call that God gave to Abraham, and then to Isaac and to Jacob. And then, of course, the great covenant that God made with them through Moses and all of the manifestations of that that they lived with, the law that they lived with, the, the priesthood, the temple, the sacrificial system. The, the, these things were all indicating that these were God's people, and if you weren't part of this, you weren't part of what God was doing. But here's the, the mystery. The church is the mystery, and, and this is the unfolding that, that's come about, is that the theocracy that I just described, the Jewish nation under God's rule, would be set aside and replaced by a new international community the church, that this church would be the body of Christ, organically united to him, 
and that Jews and Gentiles would be incorporated into Christ and his church on equal terms without any distinction. It was this complete union of Jews, Gentiles, and Christ which was radically new and which God revealed to Paul. You see, this was the new thing. This was the revolutionary thing. The Jews, although in their own scriptures, there were indicators, there were statements that uh, to the effect that God was going to do a work among the Gentiles, they never conceived of, of Gentiles coming in on an equal footing with them. They never, that never crossed their minds. So much so that when the apostles went forth and began to preach the gospel and they were stating that that was now the case, this is what caused the opposition quite often from the Jews. Paul was a prisoner. Remember, we looked at that last time. He was a prisoner for you Gentiles. Remember, it was actually because of his message that the Gentiles were now no longer uh, foreigners no longer strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It was that message that landed Paul in prison because, of course, his imprisonment was at the instigation of the Jews who were angry that he would suggest that the Gentiles could have this kind of uh, relationship with God, an equal relationship as had the Jews. So this is the new thing that God has done. This is the mystery that Paul is referring to here, this radically new society that God has brought into being, this this new humanity. We've used that terminology before. Now, here Paul tells us one other thing. Notice in verses 9 and 10, he says, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So through the church, this is astounding. Listen, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being displayed to the principalities and powers in the heavens. Now, commentators are divided as to whether the the reference to principalities and powers are uh, holy angels or fallen angels. Some commentators are absolutely convinced it's holy angels. Some are absolutely convinced it's fallen angels. Uh, I, I think that Paul is referring to the holy angels here. And the reason I think that is because Peter tells us that the angels are stooping down, desiring to understand what's happening here on earth in regard to the church and salvation. So I think that that's probably what Paul is referring to here as well. But here's what we need to think about. Through the church, God is showing his manifold wisdom his multifaceted wisdom, the the wisdom of God uh, that's so deep and unsearchable, Uh, the wisdom of God that brought the world into existence. You know, we see uh, manifestations of God's wisdom in creation, don't we? We see the intricacies of uh, 
life forms and so forth. And, and we see, wow, the, the astounding wisdom of God. Well, there's another manifestation of that wisdom through the church. Now, we need to understand that even though there have been dark seasons in the history of the church, the church is still God's, it's God's thing. And we need to love the church. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir. You guys obviously do love the church. You're here this morning. But, uh, you know, there are Christians who say, well, you know, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I love Jesus, but I don't like his followers. Lord, deliver me from your followers. We hear things like that today. And, you know, sometimes you can understand that there's probably some uh, legitimate reasons for people feeling that way. But nevertheless, we cannot forget that the church belongs to God. It's the thing that he's brought into existence. And even though we might not be able to see it right now, there's something so amazing that is being worked out through the church that the the principalities and powers are, are marveling at the wisdom of God that's being displayed through the church. Now, this, this word, the manifold wisdom of God, the, the word here is translated in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Bible. Um, it's translated in Genesis in reference to Joseph's coat. It's translated as uh, our English translation, the coat of many colors. And so that's the picture that's being painted here, the wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God, or the many-colored wisdom of God. John Stott said this. He said, the church is a multiracial, multicultural community, and it is like a beautiful tapestry. Its members come from a wide range of colorful backgrounds. No, I like this. No other human community resembles it. Its diversity and harmony are unique. It is God's new society. And the many-colored fellowship of the church is a reflection of the many-colored or many-splendored wisdom of God. I love that. I, I like what he says here. I, I like this. No other human community resembles it. You see, when the church is everything that God intends it to be, it is so beautiful. It is so unique. There's nothing like it. As he points out here, the church as a multiracial, multicultural, multi-ethnic community, that, that's the beauty of it. There's, there's nothing else like it in the world. The whole world is divided up, as we well know, uh, based on these kinds of distinctions, racial distinctions, cultural distinctions, uh, distinctions in, you know, skin color and uh, distinction in uh, economic status and, and so forth. This, the world's divided up into all of this. And this is just the, the history of the world. The history of the world is a history of division. It's a history of conflict. But the church is a different thing. God's taking people from all of these varied backgrounds with all of their cultural differences and their, uh, you know, racial distinctions and all that. And he's bringing them all together and making them one. That's the beauty. And that's what we, as the church, we should be seeking to, to model that to the world. That's why 
We've been talking about the, the importance of loving our fellow Christians, whether they're part of our, you know, immediate local fellowship or part of our uh, network of churches or whatever, realizing the body of Christ is so much bigger. We're part of this universal thing. And there's all of this, this wonderful diversity in it. And it's through that diversity that the world sees something unique, something that's not like anything else. It's through that diversity that the angels look on and think, wow, this is amazing. The angels are seeing the, the many uh, colored uh, wisdom of God through that. When I was pastoring in London years ago, uh, our church was made up of um, a diversity of, of people. You know, in, a, in an international city like London, you have, a lot of times you will have uh, churches that are, you know, distinct with their cultures or, you know, people from other nationalities move to uh, those large major cities of the world. So in London, you'd have uh, Nigerian churches and you would have uh, churches that were predominantly made up of people from South Africa, or you might have uh, Brazilian churches, or you would even have an American church in London or something like that. And um, we, we had the experience of just having a, a real diverse and multicultural and multi-ethnic. And of course, I was an American and a few others of us. And then there were the English, the, the local uh, British people. And then there were people from all these different nations. And I remember one time, I remember somebody asking me this question. They said, how did you, what was your strategy to, to, to get that to happen like that? You know, how did, what, what did you guys do to develop this, this beautiful thing? People were impressed at what they saw. How did, how did you do this? What was your strategy was the question. I looked at him, I thought, strategy? <laughs> if you know me, I usually don't have much of a strategy. Um, you know, this is just something the Lord's doing. We, we've just opened the doors and we're, anybody that wants to come, they can come. That's what the church is. That's what it should be. As I look at our community here. You know, I, I grew up in this county. And when I was a kid, when I was going to high school here in Huntington Beach, um, you know, the, the ethnic, it, the whole region was, was predominantly white at the time. And of course, Santa Ana has always had its uh, Hispanic uh, aspect to it or for many years now. Uh, but things have changed so much over these decades. And now we have all of this uh, diversity. We have people from all of the different nations that have come. And uh, I personally love this. I think this is the greatest thing in the world. This is, this is the way it's supposed to be. And it delights me. As, as we grow as a church to see more and more diversity taking place. This is, this is what it's supposed to look like. That we all come from different backgrounds, culturally maybe, ethnically. We come from different levels in society and different uh, economic status, as I said, all this. But we come together and we're one in Christ. And we love each other. 
and we relate to each other and we connect, uh, not because we're on the same pay scale necessarily, uh, not because we live in the same neighborhood, but because we have the same Lord, because we have the same Savior, because we have the same Father. We're brothers and sisters. And so this is what Paul is talking about here. This is the mystery. The mystery is the church. The church is the unfolding of that mystery, this new thing that God is doing. But Paul also indirectly tells us a little bit about himself, and in doing so, he tells us a little bit about the ministry. In verse 7, he says, he became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. A minister according to the gift of grace. Anybody who ministers the gospel does so by the gift of God's grace. We are not in the ministry because we are extraordinarily holy people. We are in the ministry by the grace of God. And listen, this is an important thing to realize. Humanly speaking, we we have a tendency to um, elevate people. It's just part of our nature. And sometimes we go beyond elevating. We, We sometimes have a tendency to idolize people. And we do that quite often because we're our thinking is incorrect. We're looking at that person and we're thinking, oh, they are so holy. They are so righteous. Of course they must be. Look how God is using them. But the fact of the matter is, as Paul put it so beautifully, I am what I am by the grace of God. Whatever it is, at the end of the day, it's, it's because of God. You know, when I see the work of God in places, and I see great outpourings of the Spirit and many, many people coming to faith in Christ in large churches. A lot of times I know personally the pastors of those churches. And so I have a little bit of an advantage because I know that they're just normal guys. And I know the, at the end of the day, the explanation for what's going on there is not really them. It really is the grace of God. But it's true across the board. I'm not saying that to, to put anybody down. It's true, with every, it's true with me. It's true with anyone. It's about God's grace. And if we lose sight of that, then what we end up doing is we end up glorifying a man instead of glorifying God. God should be the one getting the glory. We should be looking beyond the man. You can be appreciative of the man, but at the same time say, man... Lord, we recognize that you're the one that's at work here. No, man is not the explanation for these things. For Paul says it was by God's grace. And then he says, also, he adds this. He speaks of um, the effective working of his power. This is so encouraging to me. This particular passage encourages me quite often because it, it just reminds me that the power that I need to do what I do is supplied to me by God. And I want this to encourage you as well, because as God calls you to serve him in various capacities, this is what you need to know. He will give you the ability to do what he calls you to do. He does that. This is a supernatural thing that we're involved in. And we depend 
on that power from God to do this. And you can depend on that. So if you have a ministry opportunity that opens up to you, you have an area where you feel that that you want to serve the Lord, but yet there's something in you that says, oh, but you know, how can I do this? I'm so... I'm so ill-equipped, I'm so feeble, I'm so incapable in so many ways. All of that might be true, but know this, there's the effective working of God's power. God will supply you the power to do what he calls you to do. That doesn't mean that we don't take the time and work hard and discipline ourselves and study and those, we do all of that. But at the end of the day, even when we've done all of that, that's not where our power lies. Our power lies in that work of the Spirit. And so Paul makes reference to that there. But then one other thing he says, notice he said that it was given to him who was less than the least of all the saints. The grace was given to him to preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. We'll come back to unsearchable in a second. But what does a minister do? A minister of the gospel preaches Christ. That's what Paul did. He preached Christ. Christ was the, the central focus of the message of the apostles. And for anybody who's going to preach today, this is what we preach. We preach Christ. We, we need to be careful that we're not preaching something else. And in our climate today, there's, there's a lot of temptation to preach other things. Some guys are carried away in preaching uh, politics. It's a, you go to church and you, you know, you come for a sermon and you get a, um, you get a political commentary. And if I want a political commentary, I'll turn on the TV and watch the news. What I usually won't find by turning on the TV is a sermon glorifying Christ. I can't find that on the, the six o'clock news, but I'm, I'm not supposed to, but I am supposed to be able to find that when I walk into a church. That's the message. That's the, that's the, the primary message that we have. We're, we're not to be preaching um, even, you know, with all of the societal ills, we could get caught up in preaching all of that kind of stuff. Now, you know, obviously as Christians, God's work in our lives is, is going to impact the way we conduct ourselves in society. And, and hopefully we're going to be a good influence in society. God calls some Christians into the political realm to make a difference. That's all wonderful and good. But I'm talking about the preacher. If you're coming here and expecting to hear commentaries on politics from me, uh, you're going to sit a long time before you ever hear that because it's just not what I'm called to do. We can reference things at times, obviously, but the, the central point always needs to come back to Christ. And notice what Paul refers to here, the unsearchable riches of Christ. If we preached every day for a million years, we could never fathom the depths of Christ. So we've got plenty of content. We've got plenty to look at by just looking at Christ. So a minister preaches Christ. He's the center. Everything revolves around him ultimately, because at the end of the day, 
He's the answer to all of the problems in the world. At the end of the day, he is the the only political solution there is. And we know that that's true because there's coming a time when the government will be upon his shoulders. That's where it's headed, thank God. Uh, when we look at society and all of the problems in society, he, Jesus is really the answer because the problems in society are related to the people in society, right? And they're problems because of people who have problems. And Christ is the answer to those people's problems. And so we preach Christ. And like I said earlier, even just thinking about right now, just the crusade coming up with Greg. You want to impact our, our community for good? Preach the gospel. Do what we can to get people within earshot of the gospel. Do what we can to get the message because that's how lives are changed. That's how communities are transformed. So, I've transitioned from Paul and the ministry into Christ and the unsearchable riches of Christ. As I said, the word here could be translated unfathomable. The riches of Christ. You never have to worry about learning too much about the Lord. You you can never learn enough. Sometimes I, I talk to people about reading the Bible because reading the Bible is an important thing, right? Meditating on the scriptures is an important thing for our daily growth and for our communion with the Lord. But sometimes I'll ask somebody, you know, how are you with reading the scriptures? And they say, oh, well, I, I read that already. Okay, good. Well, guess what? Go back and read it again a hundred times more. It's not like that. It's not like, oh yeah, I read that. Okay, where, where do we go from here? No, you read it and you reread it and you meditate on it and you go deeper and deeper. George Mueller, the great uh, philanthropist and evangelist and guy who impacted so many orphans uh, many, many years ago in Bristol, England, uh, it was said about Mueller that he read his Bible through 200 times from cover to cover, 200 times through the Bible. That is amazing. And he, he was a man who obviously was, was deeply rooted in the scripture. But you know what? You could read your Bible through 200 times. You could read it through 500 times, or you know, maybe you could only read it through 20 times or whatever. But the more you read it, the deeper you're going to go. But you're never going to go to a place where you say, okay, that's it. I've, I've arrived at that place of the, the ultimate depths of Christ. You can't. It's unsearchable. It's unfathomable. So we can keep going. And we need to keep going deeper and deeper with the Lord. Paul tells us a couple of other things here about Christ. Just real quickly, he tells us that God created all things through Christ. And then he tells us that God's eternal purposes have been accomplished in Christ. So again, it takes me back to where we started on this point. Everything comes down to Christ. We're living in a, a pluralistic society, which is good if it's understood and um, 
properly carried out, that there's all different kinds of beliefs and there's freedom for people to have different religions and so forth. That's, that's a good thing. Um, but in this environment, we have the opportunity to connect with people from other belief systems and worldviews. And we as Christians, humbly, yes, but certainly we need to just be confident that we have the truth. We have the truth that everything centers around Christ. All of history centers around Christ. Everything originated with him and everything is going to be fulfilled through him. And so when we hear talk about, well, you know, these other religions are, uh, this is God's way of reaching these other people and so forth. No, that's not true. That's not accurate. And let's not be duped by that kind of reasoning. Christ is the answer for everybody. He is the uh, culmination of all of history. It's all coming to him and Paul again, reminds us of that here. And now our final point that I want to make is where Paul now speaks about the benefits that we have. And what does he say here? He says, in whom, speaking of Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So through Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence. It's through Christ that we have our access to God. It's through Christ that alone that God can be accessed. And we have this access to God. And he says that we have boldness. This means that we can just come to God with whatever's on our heart, with whatever's on our mind. We can speak candidly to him. We can speak freely to him. We can cry out to him. We can request from him. We can even wonder aloud, God, why did this happen? And help me through this. We we can do that. That's the kind of boldness that we have. As we see so many times, and as we emphasize so many times, we have this amazing, personal, intimate relationship now with God. But let's not forget that it's not just about me and my relationship with Jesus. As much as that is important, very important, let's not forget that we're part of a bigger thing as well. You see, this is the problem. Sometimes, and always usually, always usually, does that make sense? It sometimes <laughs> goes like this. You know, so it, you know, one, one extreme or the other, we, we tend to have a hard time striking the balance. So we find ourselves, there, there's either the emphasis on just the personal relationship with Jesus, it's just me and Jesus and nobody else, or there's just, you know, the big emphasis is on the church and the community. And there's a lot of talk today about the need for community. And sometimes people are overstating the case to the exclusion of the personal thing. But then sometimes the personal thing has been overstated to the exclusion of the collective thing. And it's not either or, it's both. 
Thank God we have a personal relationship with him. And thank God we have direct access to him. Boldness with confidence to go right, as Hebrews tells us, boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy, find grace to help in time of need. But let's not forget that we're part of the church, that we're part of a bigger thing as well. And so it's really, it's not right to just say, okay, well, I've just got my Bible and me, myself, and I'm going to go off of my corner here, and I'm just going to have fellowship with God, uh, forget the church. No, you're part of a body. You're part of a community. You're part of a family. And you need to engage with that family. Because just listening to sermons or tuning into Bible teaching on the radio or a podcast or something like that, as good as those things are and as beneficial as they can be, if, if that's all you do, there's a huge component that you're missing, and that's the com- component of fellowship with other believers. We need that. Remember, it's the church collectively that God is manifesting his uh, manifold wisdom through. We're never going to be all that we are intended to be by God if we isolate ourselves and try to do it on our own. We've got to come together. We've got to connect. We've got to engage. We've got to be involved in fellowship. And that's not just coming to church and sitting and listening to a sermon. That's good. I'm glad you're here doing that. But engage. Get to know people. Inquire about service. How can I be involved? How can I get myself connected uh, more personally to this community? That's God's intention for each and every one of us. And so as we close, the riches of Christ are unsearchable and know this, that Jesus always enriches our lives. If you're impoverished today, let Christ enrich you. He always enriches our lives. His riches, as I've said, are unsearchable. God's purposes are all wrapped up in Christ. Through Christ, we have this access to God. Everything, of course, in the epistle and in all through the New Testament, it, everything happens through Christ. So are you a Christian? If you're not a Christian, then you're outside of this. Some people today want to suggest that, oh, there's no outsiders. You just, God God loves everybody. Of course, God loves the whole world, but there are people that are outside. The gospel is an invitation to come in. By nature, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. The gospel is God's means of bringing us to life, bringing us in. Are you a Christian? Have you personally received Christ? All history will culminate in him. All heaven is watching the unfolding of his wisdom through the church. Are you part of this? You need to be part of this. God wants you to be part of this. Don't miss the opportunity to be part because as I said, all of history is moving in a direction and it's in the direction of the purposes of God all being fulfilled through Jesus Christ. As we look out our windows and doors today, as we look out at the world and as we see the chaos, the craziness that seems to get more pronounced 
with each passing week. Um, we know the direction it's going in. It's going to get bad. But we know ultimately it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. But we don't have to wait till then, and we shouldn't wait till then. We have now the opportunity to experience that kingdom, to become part of this thing that God is doing by faith in Christ. So Lord, help us today to lay hold of the things that we've heard today. Thank you, Lord, that we are part of this new thing that you're doing, the church. Help us, Lord, to appreciate so much our inclusion and to yield ourselves entirely to you that we might, Lord, find our place and be profitable and beneficial to the larger body of Christ. Lord, thank you for the inexhaustible wealth that we have in Jesus. And Lord, forgive us for our negligence at times of your word and of pursuing the things of the spirit. Help us to do that. Help us to realize not only how rich we are, but the access that we have to those riches. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to you boldly even today with our needs, with our problems, with our concerns, and you hear us. Oh, how we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.